beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Joshua, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Sean. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a it's a nighttime show today. Uh, usually when we film these or record these, it's during the day, but it's at night. So Sean, tell us why. Well, we have with us a special guest today. His name is Steve Morrison, and he's calling us from Australia. So very excited to have him with us. Steve Morrison has served in pastoral ministry for the past 24 years as an ordained minister, both within the local church and on the Australian National Executive for his church denomination. Steve is greatly gifted and experienced in conducting funerals, having officiated over 1,200 funerals. Steve has spent thousands of hours with individuals and families in deep and acute grief. In 2016, Steve was awarded the prestigious recognition from the Association for Death Education and Counseling, uh, that's from United States, as a fellow of Thanatology. In 2016, Steve launched his own business called Oh My Grief, which provides information and resources to individuals, as well as education and training for professional organizations. In 2011, Steve graduated from the Sydney College of Divinity with a Master of Arts, majoring in Leadership and Theology. He then went on to study a postgraduate certificate in Loss, Grief, and Trauma Counseling, through Flinders University in South Australia and is presently working on his Doctor of Ministry where he is considering the relationship between faith and grief. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Oh, great to be here, Sean, and g'day, Josh. It's nice to uh, put voices to the names. I gotta say, I love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an accent. You guys have an accent. Yeah, what do we sound like to you? That's the that's always that's an interesting. Ah, uh, you just sound like well-spoken Canadians. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you for being kind. <laughs> well, at least I can understand you. So I may have to speak a little slower because I got to be excited and talk too quickly. So I'll try to stay calm so that you can understand my accent. That's an amazing background, and again, it's a very extensive background, and you've got a lot of prestigious uh, acclaim from it as well. Bring us back to the beginning and why you chose to get into this field, if you will. Yeah, thanks for the question, Sean. And I I guess it's an interesting journey in as much as I probably see myself in the natural as the last person to be working in this field, probably from the perspective is that I'm I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very outgoing, life of the party sort of a guy, always being pretty energetic and, and love life. And, you know, I'm just, I'm sort of not sit around and be sad sort of person and yet I'm working in environments which is filled with sadness and trauma um, and I, I guess I've, I've come to the place of realizing well you know maybe I don't know it's just I guess a gift that I feel is on my life to be able to to connect with people of, of any of any walk you know of culture and, and religion and journey and and just have an ability to connect with people and I've used that I guess over the years I I went to youth group, a church youth group, when I was 13, and I say to people, I just never left. I've just, you know, I'm there now at 47, and um, so I just stayed in that world, and and still, in fact, even this weekend, I'm speaking at a four-day youth camp, so I'm still working with young people, even though I'm a national executive and been a senior minister. But as a result of that, I began doing some funerals just because of my job as a youth pastor, and when someone young died, I was sort of the obvious choice to do those funerals, and. Um, I don't know, it was sometime early on in my early 20s, I would say to people, if I wasn't 
um, you know, working in youth pastoring, I would be a funeral director. There's just something about walking into a family scenario when, you know, they can't even make a decision, never alone, try to work out how to honour their loved one. And to have the privilege of walking into that house and to sit with them and to help them and, and to get them to remember and, and, and to reflect. And, you know, on so many occasions we can, we can laugh and cry and, and talk and hear and listen. And, and it's an amazing opportunity. And so that's how it sort of came about. And I ended up just doing more and more and more of them. And then as a result of that, I got interested in the fact that, um, you know, so much of my work had, nothing to do with any religion, even though my background obviously was a pastor. And so then it got me to this whole idea of, well, you know, the journey of someone walking in faith, is it different? You know, how is it impacted? Uh, sorry, the, of grief. If you're walking through acute grief, is there an impact? Is it is it observable? Is it researchable? Is it definable for somebody walking in grief? Will their faith make a positive or negative impact? And so I guess that's where it leads me to today and 1200 funerals later how do you how do you know you did 1200 do you keep track do you have like a, a tally sheet yeah. somewhere yeah yeah well you get paid for them <laughs> so, <laughs> so every in the year book. you get a uh, yeah you get a report on um, on what you've done oh you have a great accountant then yeah yeah well my wife she's very detailed <laughs> <laughs> she updates you every every month <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You need to work a bit harder this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So what have you, that's a lot of funerals. What have you learned along the way in, in response to how people, I guess, you know, how it's changed throughout time and, and what people need that maybe sometimes they don't get at, at the funerals? That's a fantastic question, Josh. And I think um, one of the big things that comes to mind as soon as you ask me that question is, 15 years ago when I sort of began doing all of this, kids were rarely ever seen at a funeral service. You know, photo presentations was a rarity. You know, that was pretty out there at that time. And I'm really pleased to say that it's not like that now. Um, you know, kids are involved and, and we show photos and, and we, you know, in a true sense of where we say, let's celebrate someone's life, but then we would often do services that were quite the opposite. You know, it was just, tragedy and loss and doom and gloom and, and there is tragedy and loss I'm not for a moment suggesting there isn't but I think what I love about the modern day funeral is we, we, we truly try to celebrate the memories and the life of the person who's now deceased um, and so depending on the age of the person will depend on how we do that one of the things I love when I do a um, say a teenager's funeral um, we'll often get their school friends to come in and graffiti the coffin the day before Cool. And actually teach them to, to connect, you know, that the, the coffin's not frightening. It's just the coffin. It's okay. Why don't you write a love letter to your best mate on the coffin? Why don't you draw that picture you always drew? Why don't you write the joke that you used to always tell? And, and just starting to have this connection point that, you know, death is such a real and important part of life. Um, I don't know about in Canada, but in Australia, predominantly, we have a death-denying society. We don't talk about it. You know, it's not a discussion. Um, don't go there. I don't want to know. And thankfully, I think that's changing as well, although be it slowly. Um, but I think that's one of the big changes is kids are involved. We're creative in what we do, whether it's balloons or doves or singing or live music or dance groups. or I mean, there's so many things now that we do to celebrate the life. 
And I, and I think 15 years ago, that was very rare. The Canadian culture is very similar. Uh, we have a lot of the same ideals and values. And one of the ones that we're trying to get rid of over here is that we, which you just said, uh, which is essentially being able to communicate more and talk about death and not have it become so such a stigmatic topic, if you will. Um, why sure. is it important to include children? Oh, because they grieve just like adults. Well, they grieve differently, but the, the impact is no lesser. You know, I, an example I have is, it's a simple example, but my daughter, um, my daughter when she was, uh, she would have been about seven years old, her pony died. She found the pony in the paddock, her pony died. She was sad about that. We had all the photos, a beautiful little pony. And that was all okay. And, and you know, the, the whole, we got the pony taken away and that was it. And uh, the day finished and she was sad. And the next day we got up and we got on with life. It was about three years later when she had turned 10 that one night she came out to Naomi and I in absolute hysterics of tears, cuddling an A4 photo of her pony that had died three years earlier. And we spent days, if not weeks, walking through the grief and the sorrow and the sadness and the goodbyes of that pony, even though it took place three years ago when she was seven. Why is that? Why is there such a, a big delay? Um, I think part of it is the the ability for the age appropriateness or the age relevance of understanding forever. Mm. You know, as a as a, I guess a teen and, and the adult, we get forever, but most kids don't get forever. You know, uh, yeah. the pony's never coming back. Yeah, but what about next week? <laughs> <laughs> Surely it's coming back next week. You know, and there's this this disconnect, if you like, through the through the de developmental stages as a young child that don't get some things, but then they do eventually. Um, interesting enough, we had another horse die just last week, and I have a third daughter, and she's 10, and she was very close to this horse. And this time, she was able to be there right through the last hour of the horse's life. She fed it and watered it and brushed it and cut it. It was on the ground. It couldn't get up. And then the horse had to put it down. We left when the horse was put down. But interesting, she she has kept working through that over this last week and keeps talking about how awesome it was that she got to feed the pony the last meal it ever had. She got to give the horse the cuddle before it passed away. Just a really interesting, different experience. One, she's three years older, but two, we were able to involve her in the reality of the situation. And I think that's really important. So in funerals, I love it when the kids are running around and making noise. <laughs> that's what kids do. You know, and, and some people get like, shut that, shut that kid up. Well, no, let that kid embrace. And, you know, we do things like I say to, um, let's say it's a young child, I'll say to a parent, um, why don't you take little Johnny down to the $2 shop and get him to buy a present for grandpa? And it doesn't matter what he chooses. It could be the craziest thing you could ever imagine. It might be a, you know, a Spider-Man. And that's okay. Let him bring it to the funeral. And in the funeral, I'll invite him and the other grandchildren to come up and place their special present on the coffin of grandpa. And all of a sudden, you know what that kid remembers? It's not that mum and dad were crying or we were singing these songs or, you know, there was this box. What they remember is, I bought a special Spider-Man for Poppy mm. and I got to put it on his coffin. And it's that point of, of connection back to what is a, a you know, a sad and, and sometimes traumatic experience that actually has 
um, a point of memory that is positive and brings a smile to their face. And so I'm glad we do it differently now. That's, these are very progressive ideas. And, you know, as a relatively young pastor, do you feel like it's your mission to stimulate com- your community and society into accepting these ideas? Because I love them, to be honest. Like, yeah. you know, I think these are very important. Uh, these things that including yeah. the children, having the children uh, have these kind of put a positive spin on a uh, loss of a loved one. But do you feel it's your responsibility to do this, especially in this day and age? Um, well, I hope so. Well, I do, and I, I hope it makes an impact. And, um, you know, one of the really interesting things, and, and again, when you assess your own life, um, I would say 95% of all funerals I do are non-religious, which I find just fascinating as somebody who's <laughs> trained and, you know, ordained minister. And even that's really interesting because you, you have the different dynamics then of, of afterlife and belief systems uh, that then comes into play with, with how people... Um, journey it and so um, you know you can you can have both ends of the extreme you have one that almost doesn't face the reality because well they're in heaven and it's all okay <laughs> you know it's almost a throwaway line you know I don't want to face this they're in heaven it'll all be okay it's very sad but let's just get the funeral over and done with I need to get on with my life right down to there is nothing this sucks I'm angry the world is out of whack and I'll never get over it and it's really fascinating to see in the two points of views. And what I've discovered is both of those come, whether they're religious or not. And I think because humanity is humanity. You know, we grieve because we love. We're in bereavement because we, we don't want this loss to have occurred. We want the old normal to be there. We don't want the new normal. And so you see people responding in these different ways. And I think what we try to do in this day and age is, is create connection points where I, I always say to a family, I say, you know, I just, my hope for this funeral is not only will we honour, you know, grandpa, but that somehow you'll take another step into your new future. Just one step. Let's just take one step. And that'll be really good. Yeah, no, I think that's that's beautiful. And I think that's a great, great way of trying to explain the funeral to young people and to just people in general. Because I think a lot of people don't really understand the impact a funeral can have till after it's over. And when they're in a state of grief, or they're trying to avoid the feelings of grief, uh, they don't really understand. And it's nice how you're there to really sort of put put it into perspective and maybe give some advice to, to allow them to sort of see the full picture of what the funeral can be uh, to them and to the people around them. So what's the strangest thing you've ever seen at a funeral? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> one that's made me mad I'll, I'll tell you one that made me really cranky um, it was a 16 year old mum with a 22 year old partner and the 16 year old girl had um, given stillbirth so we were I was doing the funeral of her of her deceased baby and so it was a huge funeral I mean I mean, everybody who's ever known these people were there. She was still at school. I mean, it was a huge, I mean, hundreds of people. And we did the service and then we went out to the cemetery and we're at the cemetery and we've lowered the coffin into the little grave. You know, it's a little white coffin, very impacting. And then out of the corner of my eye, I sort of saw this girl, we'll give her a name, let's call her Jane. And Jane tried to dive into the grave. 
So I'm in the dirt in my suit with her, sort of holding her, embracing her, restraining her from getting any further into this hole. And she's just in turmoil, you know. She's yelling and screaming and swearing and people are crying everywhere. And it was a bit out of control. And everything sort of calms down. I'm calming her down and we're talking through the whole scenario and just loving on her the best I could. And then right in the middle of this going on, the partner, who, who was a tough guy, right in the middle of it, his mate walks up to him and says, hey, did you get that tattoo you talked about last week? And he says, yeah, I did, mate. And in the middle of this, look, get this, I'm on the ground with the mum, with the deceased baby, his baby. I'm in the dirt. And then this guy takes his top off and shows this guy his new tat on his back. Okay. So this guy who asked the question takes his top off and shows him his new tattoo. Uh, and before you know it, there's half a dozen blokes standing around talking tattoos. And I'm like, this can't be serious. <laughs> Have you got no love or care or concern about this 16-year-old girl who's you know, trying to understand her own life, never alone the grief that she's now in? Yeah, that made me angry. My funniest story was I was... I was doing a memorial service for a lady who was in her early 60s. She had died, and I asked if anyone would like to come and share a story about, I don't know, again, let's call her Jane. And so normally no one gets up, but this time about 10 people lined up, and they all lined up, and they came along. Jane was this. Jane was that. Jane was wonderful. It was really, it was a fabulous service, actually. And her hubby's in the front and the kids, and everyone's, you know, it was just a really nice, you know, we were celebrating a life well-lived. And then the last person, this lady comes up and she says, you know, I asked Jane one day, what was her secret to such a happy life? She was always so happy and fulfilled. I said, Jane, what is the secret to your happy life? Jane says, it's a good sex life. Well, you can imagine the husband's in the front row. He's smiling from ear to ear and everybody's having a chuckle and a, a little bit of a clap. Well, it was a really good moment, you know. And then this lady says, I guess none of you knew it was with women. Gave me the microphone and walked off. No. <laughs> Dead set in front of hundreds of people. And I have a theory. What do you reckon, boys? I have a theory. Okay. That she was the secret lover. Oh. Of course. She felt compelled. You know, she felt compelled to go up there, speak her mind, and, and say something interesting about this person. I love it. I like that story. But I like, like, secret lovers. That's something that's very disenfranchised. And, you know, like... They almost, you know, for their own grief, they almost want to make the world known that, you know, why they're grieving. That's so interesting, though. Wow. That's a funny thing and a shocking sort of what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So thank you for sharing those stories. It's very interesting. I'm guessing you have a ton more with all the experience. And the one thing I, I do like uh, at funerals, I've been to a couple, it's when people can laugh. They allow themselves to laugh in the midst of their sorrow? To laugh at a funeral, you know, there's an old saying that says laughter is a good medicine. And I think that's so true in a funeral. If you can laugh at the memories and the funny stories. And I did a service just two days ago. Uh, no, no, would have been yesterday, Monday, um, in Australia here. And it went for two hours, which is a very long service. Um, but it was one of the funniest, most entertaining, life-giving funeral services I reckon I've been in. It was just magical. And it was just filled with memories and laughter and music and, and people were engaged and no one wanted to move. No one cared that it went for two hours. I've been to 20-minute services that felt like three days. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was an amazing, an amazing celebration. 
All right, so let's move uh, move on to your Oh My Grief. So this is your business. So what is this on? Is I'm guessing it's separate from you conducting funerals. Yes. So Oh My Grief was really my answer to, um, initially it was just to write some blogs, which I, I have on my website. And I just wanted to talk about all things grief, just in little snippets, little sort of five, 600 word snippets that people could read and be encouraged or challenged or make them think about different things. So I've been doing that for about 18 months. And then um, I, over the years, I've, I've been wanting to put together some product that would help people get unstuck. You know, everybody experiences grief and bereavement and that's healthy and, and important. But some people do get stuck. They just they can't get out of it. And so for me, I wanted to really zero in on how can I help those people, what things you know, has become common to hear when people say they can't move on, you know, all the things that I hear and how can I help with that. So I started writing things like that and um, and then I wanted to go in and, and particularly I've been working with nurses in hospitals to prepare them, you know, how do they handle death in their workplace and um, and why do people do what they do in the hospital room? And the, one of the, the workplace grief training that I do in hospitals is really about Okay, someone's just died, the family's there, there's five members. How come all five of them do things differently? And I talk about the personality types and the grieving styles and, and try to just give them a really good understanding of, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, that's what's going on with that person. And just get them equipped and feel really empowered to be able to handle what is a very difficult scenario of their job. And um, I just feel truly blessed and excited to be able to do it. It's, it's an amazing thing. So that's how it came about. And, um, yeah, basically trying to help individuals and also those professionals that, that I can go and talk with. That's amazing service that you're providing. What sort of impact have you felt in your area or society at large? Uh, I think it, it really does tell to what you guys were saying earlier and what you're trying to even do in Canada is, is bring these discussions to the fore. To stop and go, okay, this is going to happen. How do we do it well? How do we do it well as a community? How do we do it as a community of nurses or community of, of, of health providers or emergency services or whatever it is? You know, how do we do this better? And, and so it's that whole idea of getting the conversation onto the table and, and really be able to have the discussion in a way that is honest and raw while being kind and sensitive. But there's discussions that need to be had. And, and so I'm hoping that it impacts the community incredibly positively in that they're prepared to go, oh, okay, such and such died today and the family was there, but it's, you know, as sad as it was, I felt like I could really help. Now that's empowering, isn't it? When you feel equipped to be able to help. Absolutely. And in such a critical time in, in people's lives, that gives me a follow-up question. And the question I have is that, a lot of these people that you're doing funerals for, you know, they're not religious. They're not really uh, associated with any specific religion. Now, from what I understand, religion provides a lot of structure, a lot of rituals, death rituals, whatnot. Do these people need more guidance if they don't really have a religion that they're kind of latched onto uh, in terms of how to cope with grief? Yeah, well, that's a fantastic question. I, I think, as you say, with the... Um, you know, the scaffolding that religion can place around a person or around a family's world, often it's easy to climb and build upon that scaffolding. 
so you can talk about things like heaven or eternity, no more pain, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with a with a spin of um, or a, a, from a perspective of hope. You know, you, there's there's hope of eternal life. There's hope of a reconnection. There's there's hope of of a heavenly place without pain and and grandpa's now at rest. Um, when you remove that, it, you, you're correct. It it can create a whole other base of of challenge. And I probably my take on that is is I try to stay away from the whole afterlife scenario and go down the memories, the now, the connections of now. Um, you know, we talk about this thing called repositioning the deceased. So where's grandpa now? Well, well, grandpa's died, yes, but what about the memories and what about the pictures? What about the places you're going to go to this year that's going to remind you of that wonderful time when grandpa taught you how to do fishing? You know, what about the song that comes on the radio that you remember you danced with grandpa at your wedding? You remember that? And so we would lean, the scaffolding that I would lean on would be about the incredible memories that you now carry of an incredible person who has lived a life and is no longer with us. Do you find, I know when I lost my father, one of the first things that I thought about was I wasn't going to have any more memories. And the second thing was, how can I remember all the memories that I already had so I don't forget them? And I got daunted because, and very sad because I couldn't remember everything that has ever like all those positive memories. And I felt yeah. almost deflated because the memories weren't coming to me as fast as I want them to. And it's only throughout when things trigger those memories, I realize, oh, it's still in there, you know, years later. But do you ever uh, have people saying that? Because it was just my own personal experience. No, very much so. And the, the fear is that they'll forget. Mm. I don't want to forget. Um, and I, I think what you just said then, spot on, Sean, is this whole idea is you do get triggered. You know, all the time there's triggers that bring back memories that may have sat dormant even for a long, long time. Um, and I think that's the beauty of, of the recall, isn't it, really? And the way the human's made up, that we do have this recall, that things can be dormant and then be triggered. And so, yeah, no, it's very common to hear that, that they don't want to, you know, they'll go initially in, that, in those first, because I'm there, remember, within 24 hours, 48 hours, I'm in the house or somebody I've never met before. You know, and I could have just had, for example, a 10-year-old a, a girl die or something. I mean, you don't get, it's just so traumatic. And I walk in, hi, I'm Steve. <laughs> you know, like, it's full on. Um, and what I hear is what you're just saying, and we, I don't want the smell to go. I don't want the bedroom to change. I don't want the noise. I don't want all of these things. And it's a very real pain. And, and unfortunately, we can't reverse it. And we can't say, oh, it won't go. Because actually, it will go. It'll change. It'll shift. It'll be repositioned. And so... I think time will show them that the triggers keep bringing back wonderful memories. But at the time of acute grief, I don't think they can process that. No. Yeah. And the one thing I actually want to bring in now actually is sometimes people have these, these dreams of the deceased and I've heard they, some of the dreams are actually memories they've forgotten. And so when they, when they wake up, they're like, Oh, I remember that. And that's actually, I think, really interesting take on some of these dreams. And then the other thing is on memory is that some of these dreams for people who aren't religious, they have like almost it's almost a new memory because I think that's why I think people get maybe happy for these dreams or very joyous is because there's a point in time where you think you're not going to have any new memories. But when you have a dream that's positive and 
you almost take it as a new memory because it is when you wake up, you remember it and it actually stays with you. And if it's the person's happy and healthy again, well, now your last memory is actually a positive one um, rather than seeing them yeah. dead in a uh, casket. Yeah, brilliant. And I, 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 you know, that's the power of the dream, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and to have those new, it's a connection point. You've reconnected. And whether it's, a, it's, whether it's a reliving of something that you lived previously or something that's fresh, it's a connection point with the deceased. So powerful and so healing and, and, and amazing. And, and that's the beauty of our dreams when, when they come. You know, I, I had a horrible scenario where I, you know, we're talking nearly 20 years ago now, one of my youth leaders, we had, were in a meeting and we left. I went straight ahead. She turned right and she crashed just down the road and the next, Two days later, we well, I was there when the family had to turn off the, uh, you know, her machine, and and she died. She was only eighteen years of age, and so I was there as friend and as minister, and I remember, and I, I redreamt that scenario, the the hospital bedroom, with such clarity, and even now when I talk to you, I'm straight back there. I could tell you the person, people that were there, what they looked like, the machines, the room. The detail, even now, nearly 20 years later, is amazing. And I know for me, in those first days and weeks, I was in turmoil over it. But I continually, like night after night, re-dreamt this. And I don't know why, but eventually, over a period of time, it was a positive dream. It was. It started off as just simply loss, but then it ended up with, I was able to be there. What a privilege to be able to be there. I was able to help the family. I drove the parents home to their house because they couldn't have done it themselves. I was able to conduct the funeral. I've been able to love on the family for 20 years later. I still meet with them. Wow. And the dream actually, while the details of the dream didn't change, the sentiment and the feeling that was attached to it completely changed over a period of only days. And I think it really helped me come through that time. Wow. That's very interesting. I like how you're saying how the meaning changed from the dream yeah not the details yeah. isn't that incredible but but my understanding of it is like i put it down to for whatever reason that i continually had this repetitive dream i put it down to i had to process it mm-hmm. in a way that i'd be okay and maybe just maybe i wasn't in a i don't know how to put the word in here josh you could probably help me but it's like i wonder whether i was in a place emotionally be able to do it when I was awake. Mm. I wonder if I was in too much pain, too much turmoil, you know, too much grief to be able to process what I needed to process awake and night after night, I processed it asleep. Wow. Yeah, that's one of the theories on, on why people have these recurring negative dreams of the deceased after uh, they pass because maybe you're avoiding it or you just, you just need a different yeah. like mindset. And when you're sleeping, you're totally in a different mindset and your boundaries on what what's real and and what you're allow, you allow yourself to do is totally different uh, than in waking life when we restrict our behavior so easily. Yeah, and so it's fascinating and interesting enough. I just bring for those of you listeners who who maybe do have a, a religious background, you know, the, the the Bible is full of people having dreams that gave direction, that gave understanding, that gave answers. And you know, often people go, oh, well, you know, that's not that. Well, actually, it, you know, right back from the very beginning of the Genesis, God used dreams to communicate with people. Fascinating. Mm. And so, you know, we, we've got a, we've got, 
the history, one of the history books of our time indicates the power and the necessity of the dream to help someone work through, understand, get direction, um, get leading, bring closure, bring healing. Fantastic. I mean, you know. Well, it's, it's amazing think- how uh, I think you even brought that up because in my MA, when I was in six or five years ago, I actually contacted certain pastors and it's interesting the response I got because uh, a lot of people don't talk about how the Bible uses dreams or how God communicates through dreams. And so when these yeah. dreams come up, they say um, it's it's nothing or it's the devil. They get afraid because they don't understand them. Because And <laughs> so I think it's nice how you're oh. shedding light on and say, no, it's okay. Like it, 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 if you're, fi- it, if you're it, religious, it can be from God. Yeah. Totally. And it's brilliant. And more than that, they would bring, in Bible times, they would bring the interpreter in. Come and interpret this dream. So not only do they have the dreams, but there are interpreters who are gifted to understand the, the, the truth of the dream. I had, a, I had a dream in Malaysia some years ago. I was there speaking. And I had a scenario going on back home that was very, very um, challenging. And I dreamt a dream that was so real. I woke up, I was sweating, I'd been crying. And I got my pen out and I wrote the dream from start to finish. I had absolute clarity. I then emailed it to a friend of mine who I should connect you guys to actually, who's known, he's a pastor, who's, who's a known grief, uh, dream interpreter here in Australia. And he's a friend of mine. And so I sent it to him and I said, you know, this is what happened. Here it is. Could you, you know, this is really causing me concern. A day later, he writes back his interpretation. That was so 180 degrees different to what I saw. like completely different I did not see what he had interpreted that dream as but you know what it 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 protected me and unlocked something in me and one of the one of the things was this scenario with these people and he said I think what what's going on there is is you are being cautioned that unless they come and talk to you no matter what don't go and talk to them it was a part of the dream that was the interpretation so I come back to Australia and all hell's breaking loose with this scenario and it was a really ugly situation. And everything in me wanted to go and confront these people. And I kept coming back to the dream and the interpretation. Don't go to them. Don't go to them. Don't go to them. I didn't go to them for three months. I mean, it took everything I had. And then all of a sudden the phone rang and they came to me and the whole thing came out so brilliant that you couldn't have orchestrated it better. Wow. I would have completely stuffed it three months earlier. But there you go, the power of dreams and interpretation. Wow. I like that. I like that. And it's interesting, too, because uh, when you look at like how dream interpretation works, there's a bunch of different theories out there, and everyone has their own sort of, you know, I guess, gift or perspective on it. Um, but one of the things that is true is that you will dream, if you, like, if you know someone, uh, you'll dream the way you need to dream for them to interpret it the right way. So like if you're really? a Jungian, That's yeah. Right. So if you're like a Jungian, uh, if you're like really into Jungian analysis, you're going to dream in a Jungian way. And if you're a Freudian, like that's why Freudian people would tend to have Freudian type dreams and Jungian would have like, he would see different dreams because people were going to him with sort of like the, almost the rubric on what he needed to sort of uh, find out what, what they needed to hear. So I think that's really cool how you said how this, there's this guy and he's doing it. And I'm glad that it helped. There are some people, I think, just with uh, a lot of things, there's people that uh, aren't good that try to do it or they uh, 
they uh, or people try yeah. to go to these dream interpretation books or on the internet and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. helpful <laughs> at all because everyone has a different yeah. uh symbol for what everything means but it, sure. this guy this guy can actually put the details together well information without revelation is very dangerous mm. or information without correct application mm. is dangerous so you can give me all the information that you have downloaded to me but if i don't apply it appropriately then I have a lot of power in my hand that I can do a lot of harm with because I just don't apply it properly. I don't interpret it properly. Mm. I haven't got the revelation that goes along with your knowledge. And so the beauty of, of Pastor Zion when I'm talking to him, and interesting that you say that about the way I saw it would be the way he interpreted My the dream that I gave him was just so full of symbols, like symbolic things. Well, that's how he interprets dreams, by symbols. Mm. So to him, he read my he read my dream that I wrote to him and he just wrote it out as if it was nothing. <laughs> like it just—it was so obvious to him. And I'm like, I never saw that. And yet it was a key. And so, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, so he not only has studied dream interpretation, but he's gifted at it. He's got the ability to apply knowledge. And I guess that's the same thing. You know, we come back to where we began with at the start of this interview. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I guess, well, anyone can do the study and research and become a thanatologist by degree or by qualification but you could you could be the worst people person in the world and go into a family and just cause them you know heartache and pain so it's way more than information isn't it there is there's something about the person and so it's good that uh, you can bring a a different sense or just a lightness i think to to the conversation and you say you use humor a lot and uh different perspectives on on how to get engaged with uh the different family members. And I think that all that is beautiful. And so when you talk about the research, why are you researching, so you're in your doctorate, so why are you researching faith and grief? Is there a connection already? Like I would have thought that would already been like looked at. My assumption at the beginning was that if you, if you were involved, if you had a faith element, and, and I guess for me, I'm, I'm talking Christian faith, although I've studied many religions, but let's talk Christian faith, that because of your hope of eternal life, or you, or perhaps your certainty of eternal life, that you would just grieve really differently. It would be, you know, it'd be sad, but it would be full of hope and almost excitement for the deceased person that they would now be in heaven. The reality after doing a lot of funerals is that often I don't see much difference between the two. That is, the grieving person of the religious and the grieving person of the non-religious. And for me, that was a disconnect. It didn't make sense to me. So it was from that perspective that I've gone, I, I want to try to quantify this. I want to, I want to look at, you know, if, if I'm a religious person and my dad dies and my friend is not a religious person, his dad dies, will I walk the process differently and who will walk it better and what will the outcome be? And so it's just a little research job like that. <laughs> <laughs> just a little. <laughs> yeah. So I'm only I'm only two years into about six or seven years, but um, it's it's fascinating already. And as you would know, you keep drilling down more and more and more, and you keep finding more and more things to you know look at or be distracted by. So it's um yeah, it's a big undertaking. Yeah, I was just going to say, in making sense of the world, making sense of our community and our society, and uh, you know, whether we're in a religion or whether we're not, it's vital research because it, again, it helps us have that understanding, you know, dreams, when you talk about that and why we do what we do, but 
it's a language and we don't quite understand it completely and we're trying to so we're trying to use science uh you know in the past we've tried to use religion to make sense of it and you know whatever you use to make sense of it it needs to be kind of thought about and and that's where i think work that you're doing helps people you know make sense of all that and it still needs to be done. You know, how long have humans existed? Well, we're still trying to figure these things out. There's yeah. still people dismiss dreams like it's nothing. And, and, you know, it's kind of silly almost because we spend so much time sleeping and dreaming and you think that we'd be more in tune with what's going on. But, you know, it's, again, it's people like you and uh, other people we've talked to that are doing a great job bringing that topic back into the limelight. So, uh, Would you like another dream story? Oh, of course. Wait, before you tell that dream story, I just want to ask the one question. The one thing before we get away from your topic of uh, your research is that I've noticed that sometimes when someone passes away or or dies, um, sometimes they they rely on on their faith. Um, But other times they actually get broken and they become almost faithless, like like God doesn't exist. So like sure. in, in when you are you researching that aspect on how grief yes. how grief can change mm-hmm. your faith level? Yeah, so I'm calling it a crisis of faith. So you went in with sure faith, but then what happened you didn't want to happen, and now you've got a crisis of faith. And what I mean by that is, but I've served God all my life, and if He's all powerful and loving, then why didn't He save my wife from cancer? My wife died. I prayed the prayers. I fasted the fast. I got the whole church. I put her on a chain. I put her on a prayer chain. I even sent money to an American evangelist and got them to pray for my wife. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. And, and still my wife died. And there, right there, you have a crisis of faith. Um, and I think if people were honest, most people who walk through and, and called faith, I'm using faith in the context here of, of religion, but you can put faith in whatever you like. When, when your assumptive world gets interrupted, particularly by something as impacting as death, then often there's a crisis of belief and understanding and faith. Now let's lead into, yeah, let's lead into your, your dream that you want to share, your next dream. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so I've always been a big believer in dreaming and, and the ability for, for me anyway was that God could contact me like the Bible does through a dream. But I don't mind how you word that. It's, it's no issue to me. Um, but I was, I was at a conference, and I was speaking at this conference. My wife was with me. And I woke up in the morning, and I said, you won't believe it. She said, what's that? I said, I dreamt last night that my car's going to get stolen today. She said, are you serious? I said, yeah, but it wasn't just a, a dream. It, it was real. It was, like, it was like God was communicating to me, your car will be stolen today. She said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I've got my, my laptop and stuff in it, and you've got your car here. How about I take all of my important things out of it and put it in your car, and then if it's stolen, what well, doesn't really matter? So she's laughing at me going, you're an idiot. And I'm laughing going, well, if it's not true, it doesn't matter. But I just, it was, like a, it was like a real dream. It was like I was awake. But I wasn't. I was asleep. I woke up remembering the dream. So I go into the conference. I put, park my car. It's in a four-hour parking spot outside the, um, the conference center. I come out with a bunch of friends at lunchtime to put money in the meter and to go to lunch. And I'm telling them as we're walking towards where the cars are that I had this dream the night before that my car was going to be stolen. We get to the cars and my car's not there. My car has been stolen. 
<laughs> so I'm laughing my head off going, I knew this was going to happen. This is hilarious. We go out to lunch. I ring the police. I do the whole report. I ring my insurance company. Anyway, they no worries. So what I was happening is, is they, I bought my car for free for $700 and they paid me $2,500. So I was, I was winning. And in the back of my car, I left my bag of clothes. So I claimed my bag of clothes as well, which were all my good conference clothes. And that was another $2,500. So I got $5,000 from the insurance company. But then what happened was the police rang me and said, we found your car. So I go and pick up the car. My, brother, my, my, my father-in-law is a mechanic. We pick up my car. All I did was damage the ignition. So we take it back to the workshop. The, the insurance company comes and look at it, and they write it off. They say, oh, no, it's too damaged. Turned out all I needed was a new ignition. So I, I say to the insurance company on the phone, what are you going to do with my car? They said, oh, we're going to sell it as a salvage price. I said, well, how much is that? They said, $500. I said, I'll buy it. So I bought my car back. <laughs> then I said, what are you going to do with my clothes? They said, oh, we're going to salvage them as well. I said, well, how much for them? They said, $500. I said, I'll buy my clothes back. So I bought my car and my clothes for $1,000, and I still had four grand in my pocket. <laughs> Come on. And my laptop and all the things that were important to me were in the other car because I had a dream that my car would be stolen. As true as I stand here in Torquay, Victoria, Australia, that is what happened. And it's been a fun story I've been telling for 10 years. Wow. The power of the dream. I love it. The, pre-cog- the precognitive dream. People actually say that <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> people actually say that actually with um, having these dreams of uh, deceased loved ones, where they'll have a dream of the loved one saying goodbye prior to getting notification of the person's debt. Which is, I think, just it's just one of those dreams where you're just like, oh my god, like what what is this? Um, but it, it tends to make people feel comforted that uh, they had that, or they could say their last goodbyes. Sometimes it's like in the night, and they wake up and they get the phone call. Other times it's a couple of days prior. So uh, yeah, the dream world is very fascinating. I'm glad you're a big fan of it and you use it to uh, to tell stories. <laughs> uh, totally, because people can connect to it. They, they understand it. We've all dreamt. We've all had nightmares. We've all had night tremors. We've, we've had funny, crazy, un, un, you know, dreams that have meant nothing. But I think everybody's had dreams that have meant everything, even if they're not aware of it just yet. And um, I hear that a lot as well, Josh, is from people. I sit with them as a family and they go, you know what? We, I dreamt about this just yesterday that dad was going to die. You know, the amount of times I've sat with families, too many times to not believe that have said, I, I knew about this. He, I dreamt it two nights ago. You know, he came into my room two nights ago and said goodbye to me. And I, and I just said to my husband, this can't be true. And then here we are. And I've heard that so, so many times. Oh, that's amazing you've heard that too. Very common. Yeah, you almost, common. You almost don't came. believe that. I was going to say, you almost don't believe it can't be some coincidence when you hear it so often. Like, you know, imagine all the, you know, pastors in the world who are privy to kind of do these funerals. And then hearing these stories, and I'm sure they all add up. You hear, you hear it over and over again. Even just doing this podcast for a short amount of time, we've heard stories like that uh, over and over again where people say, you know, we've, well, before my loved one passed away, I had this kind of feeling or I had this dream. And uh, you don't know what to make of it, and it is what it is until we figure out more and do some more research. But it's just an incredible thing. We're funny creatures, us humans. We, we want everything to be in our little boxes so that we can make sense of it all. And yet I think part of the greatness of this world that we get to live is that we don't know it all and we can't work it all out. And, you know, I've studied religion now for 
nearly 30 years and I can tell you, I think I know less now than what I did 30 years ago, even though I've been a avid researcher and, and, and uh, you know, lover of knowledge. I get to the end and I go, you know, I, I just can't work all this out. And I'm glad. I'm glad life's full of mystery, you know, and, and these things still exist. And, and we think we've worked out the afterlife, particularly us pastors. Well, you know, we've got it all sorted out. I, I think we've just scratched the surface. And, uh, and I'm glad that I, I live in, a, in an understanding that's far beyond what my mind will ever work out. I, I actually, I'm comforted by that. I think it's great. Let the mystery always be there. Yeah, there's something comforting. Like, some, like I think the mystery is very comforting. But some people, they, they, it actually is uh, discomforting. They need to try to understand it. Like it's their goal, and they just forget to sit in it, to just like sit in the wonder of it all. And yeah, these dreams definitely make you make you sit there. And so uh, we have just a short time left. Um, so can you tell us? Have you had any more losses along the way? You lost your friend when she was 18. You're saying, right? Yeah, look, and I probably, I can't believe I forgot this, but it probably all started for me when I was 15. Um, I was in a, I'm a well, back then I was a jazz trumpeter and, and I was in a, a quartet at school. So we would play music before school, lunchtime. We would, you know, nothing mattered but music and would go into competitions. So there was four of us, a jazz piano player, Simon, and a, a jazz drummer, Steve. He lives in Germany now. He's still a drummer and a double bass player and myself on the trumpet. And so we were close and we were to spend all our time together. And anyway, long story, very long story short, um, our piano player, Simon, ended up hanging himself and dying when I was 15. And I would have put him down as probably my closest friend. And um, I remember I remember no one ever talking to me about it. I remember it was a not-to-be-discussed topic. The school didn't talk about it. All I know is I got to school that day and the headmaster pulled me aside on my own, in his office, and said, Simon died last night. I then found out he'd hung himself. I remember the funeral, his first funeral I'd ever been to. I remember the coffin. I remember on the coffin there was a nameplate, silver nameplate that had his name on it. I just remember that so clearly. I remember it being lowered into the ground. I remember the car that I went in. I didn't even know whose car it was. It was a friend's mum. And I remember that was it. And the next day I went back to school. That's where it started. Wow, and that actually died. Wow. And they say, like, as as a child, like, how do you process that when no one's talking about it, no one's giving you that space? And I can I can understand why you have such a a desire and love to help the youth um, when when their friend passes away. And it's fascinating what what comes our way in our in in the world and how we use it to almost memorialize them in, in a certain way. And I think, you know, I say your, your friend dying would have in some way, I, I like just by like listening to you today, I think it had a huge impact in sort of who you care about, you know, cause you can care about a lot of things in this world. Um, but it seems like your focus is really on, on the youth. Yeah. And, and look, I, it, it's an interesting thing where I'm at, but I, I've traveled a lot of the world standing on some amazing stages as a pastor. And I'm thankful for every memory of it and everything that I've done. But I actually just dream now, daytime dream. <laughs> I actually just dream now of standing on stages and talking to people about hope in the midst of all this stuff. Grief, loss, 
just to bring hope, you know, tell the stories. I, I just, I picture them laughing and clapping and, and yet crying and, and, and understanding their own journey and being better equipped and empowered to, to embrace life like they've never done before without diminishing their loss, without being disrespectful to their deceased you know, loved one. But in the midst of all of that, just to be grabbing hold of life with all it has and, and embracing it because of the relationship they had, because of the one that was with them. And uh, that's what I dream about, boys, to just to tell the stories and, and, and let people come alive in the midst of death. And um, who knows? Maybe that'll happen. It will one day. <laughs> I can tell you that you're a great speaker and you have, you have a great energy to you. And I said you're humorous. humorous. Um, but you're also you can you have that uh, the softness that you're not just avoiding loss, but you can sit with loss and still be yourself. Like you're not afraid of loss, which is I think our culture is we're afraid of things that ca- cause us to cry or cause us pain. And you're okay yeah, with that. You're willing to have you know have have tea with it, you know, <laughs> in the morning and say how you doing today, you know, crack a joke at it and continue to walk. And so I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And I can't wait to actually hear you speak on stage because I feel that's going to happen someday. And hopefully we will to maybe well, do something we'll on stage visit. together. Yeah, we'll do it in Canada, right? And we'll we'll make something happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I plan to. Uh, I want. I want to. I want to hit Australia one day too. So uh, who knows? Well, come on, let's do something. All right, all right. You heard it here we'll first, take, folks. We'll take this offline. We'll make something happen. This is a scoop to grief dreams. There's going to be some interaction going on. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, lastly, is uh, we always like to ask our guests, what kind of what dream would you want to have of a deceased loved one if you could today? Wow. Ah, uh, gosh. I guess you know, understanding something what happened in Simon's world would be fascinating. That would be incredible. Um, I had one of my colleagues die just a few years ago in a paragliding accident. Um, wife and four kids, he was he was pastoring with me. Actually, I did the funeral for that. And I still look after the family. Um, and we don't know what happened. We don't know. You know, he was 30-year experienced paraglider and something went wrong. For them, you know, for, the, for his family, I'd love to have some understanding to help them bring some closure because that's the always open up question. Mm. What happened? Right. How did that happen? And it would bring closure to them. And so that's interesting. The two I just gave you actually were both about closure. So there you go. That's inviting <laughs> to me right there. Wow. I don't know why I said that, but that's, they were both about closure. Hey, it feels me, right. Someone else. It feels right. Yeah. It feels right. And so how old do you want Simon to be? Do you want to be what do you oh. be now, like your age, or would it be still little Simon from? I had never thought of that. I mean, fifteen-year-old or forty-seven. I don't know. Hey, this is this is why we ask the tough questions here on the Grief Dreams podcast. <laughs> 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 well, I, I don't mind either way. I as long as the answer was there. So if he needs to bring that as a fifteen-year-old, then come as a fifteen-year-old. Yeah. But you recognize him as a... talk to me. I will forty seven. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. I, I think I'd need him to turn up as fifteen. Yeah, you'd need that. And, um, <laughs> we had our thirty year out school reunion uh, last month, and uh, one of the photos that came up was of our quartet, and he was there. And I, I just, yeah, it took me back a little bit, and um, just triggered all the memories and and uh, what he looked like and what we used to do. So I think I'd like the fifteen year old to turn up. That's cool. And do you want to be fifteen yourself, or do you want to be your age now? I'd like to be how I am now and have an understanding because I could take that in, you know, to me then that leads right into suicide prevention and mm. greater understanding and all sorts of things. All right. And then uh, yeah. 
where do you want to be? Because now you have two deceased people in the dream, right? And you want them both to be there. So where would you want this to take place? I would like to be walking on the beach chatting. Oh, I like that. Hey, Sean, what do you think? I think that's a beautiful dream. And especially where you're located in Australia, there's lots of lovely beaches and uh, locations where you can probably do that. Um, and it, it's a beautiful <laughs> moment. Yeah. Yeah, I live nine minutes from Bell's Beach, the famous Bell's Beach. So it's white sands and great surf. And so, and I do that most days. I did that this morning, went and walked my 7Ks and, you know, walk and think and ponder. And I guess I picture walking, thinking and pondering, but with them and asking the questions and having the conversation. That'd be pretty amazing. Well, and I hope you keep doing that, Steve, because honestly, I think you're headed in the right direction in your dream, what you wanted to be on stage somewhere and being able to share your journey and, and to influence other people on a large scale. Uh, you know, what the work you're doing is, is vital because it's answering a, a deep question that we all have as humans. And we, we all need to kind of dip in there a little more. As uncomfortable as it is, uh, it's important. So, you know, kudos to you and, and keep up the good work. Uh, thank you, Sean. And look, same with you guys. And I, I guess I'm hoping for those who, who listen into the podcast, that actually this wasn't an awkward discussion. This was a free, easy, enlightening, empowering discussion. And I think it can be, and I, and I hope that shows that, that, that I, I'm not hanging up deflated. I'm hanging up energized, you know. <laughs> I've had an amazing conversation with these two Canadians that have just got it happen <laughs> in an area that I work in and understand. And, and it doesn't have to be an awkward discussion. It can be free-flowing and energizing. And um, let's hope we can have them all around the world and, and, and impact people for the better. All right. Wow. I like that. That's a great little sign off. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and taking your morning uh, with us and just sharing. Because, yeah, you're right. I am uplifted and, you know, and but it's night here. So I'm supposed to be going to bed soon. But but I'm still uh, I got energy. So maybe I'll do some work or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you got me moving. So it's amazing to, to hear and to, to see the amazing things other people are doing in this world. And that inspires me to to never give up and to always have the hope and to to live life to to a new level. And so I can't wait to meet you one day. And is there any way, anywhere uh, people can contact you uh, or see your stuff? Yeah, sure. Just simply go to Oh My Grief, so O-H-M-Y-G-R-I-E-F, ohmygrief.com. Instagram's the same and Facebook's the same and Pinterest is the same. They're all the same. It's just Oh My Grief. Pinterest? Oh, we don't even have that. We do have Instagram. And so it's amazing you have Instagram because many people don't. Um, and so I'm glad you're on that, that, uh, that forum, uh, because it's, it's fascinating. I think it's, uh, it's something unique. So yeah, the listeners, please visit his stuff, follow him on Instagram, uh, if you haven't already and, uh, let's give him some support. And so for ours, so please check out, uh, the platform griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the grief dreams, Facebook group, or check us out on Instagram or Twitter at grief dreams. Once again, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean.com, or many other podcasting platforms. And if you're interested in, uh, to being a guest yourself and you have a story you want to tell, please feel free to email us uh, your story and what you'd like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. And once again, with love and gratitude from us to you. beginning.